Well, uh, it is about 6.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and you are listening to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. And I'm Jim Dwyer. <clears throat> and uh, Labor Day means a lot, uh, signifying the end of the summer. I've always believed that the two slowest news weeks of the year are the last week of August and that sort of uh, Christmas time, New Year's Eve. But, of course, there's so much hoopla about the, the new year that uh, <laughs> people are still out and about. Uh, <clears throat> but well, anyway, last week was definitely a kind of a week dominated by Aretha Franklin and John McCain. Yeah, there were elements of... Uh last week that seemed like it was one long, endless face punch for Donald Trump. Neil Simon sort of got lost in the mix, uh, which is ironic. Well, as did the 50th anniversary of the uh, riots at the D uh, Democratic National Convention in Chicago, 68. Yeah, and that, of course, that event uh, <clears throat> really defined American politics for quite some time. I would argue, you can plausibly argue that the culture wars we're just a simple extension of those uh, yeah. the chaos in in Chicago. Uh, Richard Daly uh, was one of a kind. Well, and also the fact that there was that much uh, ideological infighting in the Democratic Party in 1968. I think we're seeing a similar fight within the Republican Party of today. Yeah, and of course the conflict in 68 fundamentally was about the Vietnam War. Mm -hmm. Humphrey wasn't really in the race until uh, after uh, Robert F. Kennedy was assassinated and both the assassination of Bobby Kennedy and Martin Luther King I think played a big role in the, the mood in 1968. Uh, Lyndon Johnson famously withdrew from the race um, after he didn't slaughter Eugene McCarthy in the New Hampshire primary. It was a kind of a close thing. and I've always thought that was very strange, too, because especially after the Kennedy assassination, Robert Kennedy and Humphrey's poor performance, what was there to prevent LBJ from just saying, you know what, I'm getting back in? Well, you know, there was there are some history books that say that that's what he was secretly hoping for. That they would call him, oh, LBJ, we need you. Because at least he had a domestic record that he could run on. But, of course, there were so many uh, uh, urban race-related riots in a variety of cities, including Detroit. Uh, that was 1967. Well, as the Ken Burns Vietnam documentary, I think, makes abundantly clear... Of the numerous tragedies that are implicit in the big disaster that we call the Vietnam War, one of them is the disaster that the LBJ presidency became. Uh, his reputation utterly destroyed and tarnished by the war, by the lying about the war. He stood to have been one of the greatest presidents. He could have been, I'm saying. Yeah. One of the best presidents for just the plain living folks of America, the war on poverty, the civil rights amendment uh, legislation that was pushed through. If he had focused on that, we'd be living in a very different world. Well, and also it's important to always remember that the Gulf of Tonkin resolution was manipulated by uh, hawks in the Cold War, quote unquote, deep state. 
there wasn't a deep state. It was the state, <laughs> to be quite frank with you. In fact, Dove's opponents of the Vietnam War were hard to find in 1964. But it's interesting how um, the academics at uh, universities <clears throat> began the teach-ins all around the country, eventually, um, educating the American people about what was wrong with the Vietnam War, why it was doomed to fail. And it's striking to me that just this week there's been much more uh, awareness of some of the the wars that are going on around the world, including Yemen. Uh, the BBC has been reporting for several weeks that there are massive Syrian ground troops um, about to start an offensive in Idlib. The Russian Navy is poised uh, off the coast. And it appears that uh, Assad of Syria is going to uh, do something rather dramatic in the next couple of weeks in the northwest province of Idlib. That situation, by the way, is totally complicated by Turkey. Mm -hmm. uh, Turkey has closed down the border. Uh, there are complicated uh, uh, rivalries within the, the Kurdish uh, factions in Syria and Iraq. And Turkey, the United States uh, military, allied itself with the Kur with one faction of the Kurds to win the the liberation of Raqqa, which drove uh, uh, ISIL out of uh, Raqqa uh, several months ago. But just this weekend, the uh, commander in Afghanistan. And I'm drawing a blank on his name at the moment because I didn't bring in the article. He's been there for three years. He just resigned, the, the NATO commander in Afghanistan. And he says, let's get out of Afghanistan. That this uh, mission is too vaguely um, articulated and understood about what we're trying to do in Afghanistan. This is the NATO. Um, Even if it were well articulated, it might not be attainable. Yeah, and of course, Donald or Trump worth the attaining knows nothing of uh, of these things. I would argue, and in fact, it's quite interesting how recent trade tariff wars with Turkey mm. have really complicated Turkey's perspective, not only of uh, NATO but the United States. The Turkish currency has plummeted in the last couple of months as part of this uh, tariff uh, steel obsession that Donald Trump has. And, of course, there are other factors involved, but uh, Turkey's economy is, uh, well, the Turkish lira is in free fall. And um, recently, of course, there's been a big uh, diplomatic brouhaha about a uh, religious uh, person who's under house arrest it's not actually in one of those infamous Turkish jails. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Midnight Express. <laughs> well worth checking out, by the way, for a variety of reasons. A very powerful. Well, it's a pretty white knuckle ride. Yeah. <laughs> pretty powerful movie from the from the late seventies. Not not for the kids. <laughs> not for the kids. <laughs> that one's really rated R. <laughs> Some of these movies that are rated R are kind of like, well, I don't, you know, whatever, but. That one needs to be rated R. Um, so, yeah, interesting how the American public is sort of oblivious to so many of these things going on. Another report, by the way, that the United States may finally be 
uh, realizing that our presence in Niger is uh, no longer worthwhile. Um, and by the way, the, the real report is that the Pentagon is building one of the largest Air Force bases in the history of human civilization. Just to give Donald Trump a little bit of big, you know, chest he can pound his, his fists on. Get that uh, ape vibe going. You know, and that this is designed as part of the so-called uh, African Command uh, that was developed by H.W. Bush to, quote, combat terrorism. How ironic that the Syrian foreign minister over the weekend, amidst all these reports of this uh, offensive in the Idlib province, is basically uh, using the word terrorism to justify uh, going in there. This, of course, is a, a rebel stronghold, and the Syrian civil war is one of the great disasters of the 21st century, uh, partially caused by uh, the United States invasion of Iraq in which the region was cre became chaos. It spread everywhere. Oh, it rippled out all through east, west, north, south of, from Iraq. And let's remember that even the Vietnam War is, is to some degree mischaracterized. Uh, the, these really were three different wars, uh, almost four if you want to really get technical about it. There was an air war in, in North Vietnam with bombing. There was a ground war in the south uh, with search and destroy. And then there were wars in Cambodia and Laos. And, of course, Nixon secretly uh, went into Cambodia in 1969. This was eventually reported in 1970. This led to more student protests on the campuses as the, the draft became even more unviable as, a, as, as an option because uh, the people in America finally realized that they had been sold a fake bill of goods. That all of this propaganda about the domino theory and <clears throat> that Vietnam is in our national security interest, that we need to go into Vietnam to reassure our European allies that we're reliable, when in fact our European allies were telling us to get out of Vietnam. <laughs> uh, the British and the French had had, and, the, and, and to a lesser extent the Dutch had had their own uh, <clears throat> problematic experiences with with imperialism. And uh, I think if there's one sort of uh, maybe unfortunate note about the passing of John McCain, yes, as an individual, he had many redeeming qualities. He had a sense of humor. He understood the process. I think he was a good guy, basically. But he was also quite a hawkish mm. And uh, when you go back and you check his record, uh, he advocated a lot of military uh, interventions that never happened, thankfully. But ironically, uh, when Bill Clinton wanted to go into Yugoslavia, uh, he uh, opposed that one. So I think he was much more partisan than the, uh, <clears throat> let's say, the homage to him over the past week uh, really was in reality. But, of course, what was fascinating about it was that it was sort of John McCain's last punch back, counter punched yeah, to the Donald. So. And uh, I don't think he took uh, a lot of the events all that well. He seemed to get very angry, by the way, after uh, <clears throat> and I just want to read this because this sort of explains some of the tariff uh, 
chaos that we're now experiencing with the Trump Trumpster uh, and this bizarre thing where he wants to make a separate deal with Mexico with the outgoing president of Mexico. This guy's a lame duck. I mean, the whole thing. Then he gives Canada an ultimatum and Canada basically says, well, we'll sign a deal if it's good for us. But it's it's fascinating that on Wednesday, the United States International Trade Commission overturned a Trump administration decision to impose tariffs on Canadian newsprint, saying that the American paper producers are not harmed by newsprint imports. Now, the reason this became a big story over the summer was that local small newspapers, rural newspapers all over the country were complaining about this tariff. And this tariff uh, ended up as the facts have shown, that the Trump administration was trying to uh, play favorites, pick winners, and that they were trying to benefit a hedge corporation in New York. Um, There was a Washington—I believe the actual producer of the paper was in Washington State. But this was affecting small newspapers all over the United States as newsprint costs skyrocketed. Well, and it needs to be said that, uh, you know, here in a university town like Ann Arbor, pretty much almost everybody has the Internet. But that ain't so across wide swaths of the USA. Yeah, and there are obviously deficiencies in the Internet. The Internet cannot report local (laughs) events in um, Manistee, Michigan, for instance. I, you know, I don't I don't know that. People are going to be able to tune in uh, to the Internet to figure out what the heck's going on in Manistee because you actually have to have human beings reporting news. Um, Small newspapers play a big role. And how fascinating to see just a couple of weeks ago, 200 newspapers around the country come out and give a uh, rebuke to Donald Trump's repeated phrase of enemy of the people. Yeah, in fact, I was just about to mention this when you started talking about Manistee. St. Ignace, Michigan, a very small city just on the other side of the Mackinac Bridge, uh, was one of those newspapers that uh, proudly defended the rights and functions of a free and independent press. And, of course, these attacks on the media allow a brutal military regime like the regime in Burma and Myanmar, who just yesterday arrested uh, two uh, Reuters news reporters who are in Myanmar reporting on the events that are going on in the ground. These are the types of news entities that Donald Trump is attacking. He's attacking the AP. He's, He's attacking Reuters. He's attacking the news wires. He's now claiming that the Internet is biased against him. And, you know, just real quick on that, <laughs> somebody complaining that the Internet is biased against right-wing media sites is like someone in the porn industry saying that the Internet is biased against porn. Yeah. There's no shortage of right-wing webcasts, podcasts, social media sites, uh, know-nothing journalists with a megaphone and a mouse to click. All you need to do is search for them. They're there. So uh, that 
particular protest struck me as patently absurd. And, of course, this has been part of Trump's uh, PR campaign that really over the last month he's he's made this claim repeatedly, and it just has no validity whatsoever. Um, the, quote, mainstream news, of course, does make mistakes from time to time. Uh, they do their best job to correct them. There are honest mistakes. There is reporting that is flawed and deficient from time to time. Sometimes this involves sources. But I think if you look at a lot of the um, Trump uh, complaints, they're just talk about fake. <laughs> That's what they are. The Trump people are leaking a lot of uh, information. Yeah, there's a lot of in-house leaking. And, you know, many of these, you know, uh, intense media scrutiny uh, complaints that he's making too much scrutiny. Well, then, dude, shut up. Stop with the tweets. So many of the articles focused on specific uh, complaints or critiques of this president uh, are utterly of his own making. So, well, well, they are. And, you know, it's interesting. Want I've people been, to lay off? Then shut up. It's interesting because I've, I'm about two a thirds through a book here uh, called uh, Russian Roulette. It's by David Korn and Mike Isakoff. Strongly recommended. I'm reading that as well. I'm about a third of the way through. Yeah, it's uh, this is like sort of my third book about the Russian connections and whatnot. But how fascinating to read, you know, because Paul Manafort was recently uh, convicted um, on a variety of sort of white collar charges with an upcoming trial. Trump's been trying to say Manafort's a great guy. He's a good guy. He doesn't deserve this. You know, he's trying to interfere in the trial process and whatnot, ignoring the fact that Manafort is part of this weird uh, web of foreign policy characters that Trump uh, was connected with in the 2016 election. And, and in years leading up to the 2016 and, election. And years before. Yeah, yeah. In other words, it's always been a little bit of a, a mystery how Paul Manafort was able to volunteer his services to Donald Trump for several months. Gratis. As a or free. Uh, unpaid campaign advisor, uh, when, of course, he was a neighbor of Donald Trump. He lived in Trump Towers. And also some $10 million in debt to, uh, was it Deripovska or one of those? Yeah, there's oligarchs. so many of them. It's like reading a Dostoevsky novel. Yeah, you uh, <laughs> it's, need your program. You need your program to keep track of this whole murky cast of characters. And, of course, so many of them are connected to these uh, oligarchs and, you know, the kleptocracy that's going on in in Russia. Uh, Trump and Putin are mutu are part of a mutual admiration society. <laughs> I think even the word oligarch is, is almost too classy. This is where, the I mean, it's not quite all Russian mafia, but much of it is. It's like that weird confluence of, legitimate businessman meets Russian mafia. I mean, that's essentially what an oligarch is, is the super rich. How do you get super rich in Putin's Russia? You're you're in the Russian mafia. Yeah, and of course, one of the investigative uh, journalists that was involved in looking into Trump's uh, activities kept making the observation that Trump keeps going to Russia. Why? What's... What's the deal that's happening? Because there don't seem to be deals. 
there was the Miss Universe pageant, but there seemed to have been a number of other trips to Russia. There are some reports, by the way, that Trump is, was cultivated as a Russian intelligence uh, asset uh, dating back to the 1980s. I mean, this 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 is this is real Manchurian candidate stuff. Well, it, the amount of money that's gone through Trump Tower in shaky ways is. Uh, involving Russian business interest goes back that far, yeah. Yeah, and of course, this goes back to Ivana uh, Trump. Uh, she was uh, a Czech citizen, mother of Ivanka. He loves those Eastern European types. Yeah, that's two of them. <laughs> two. <laughs> two out of three. <laughs> but this is a fascinating example of Paul Manafort in action. This is shortly before he resigned. On August 14th, he gave an interview to Jake Tapper of CNN. And uh, basically, Tapper uh, grilled uh, Manafort about Trump's latest off-the-wall comment, a remark he made in Wilmington, North Carolina, about Second Amendment people, quote-unquote, might have something uh, to do to stop Hillary Clinton's judicial appointments were she to be elected. Was Trump suggesting violence? To stop the judicial picks, Tapper asked. No, not at all, Manafort replied. In fact, I mean, there's, quote, plenty of news to cover this week that is not being covered. You, This is Manafort speaking now. You had the NATO base in Turkey being a, under attack by terrorists. And everybody in the news media is going, huh? That, that actually didn't happen. It didn't happen. Um, now, there were some people marching around with signs. Um, this happens all the time. Uh, you can drive through downtown Ann Arbor uh, most weekends, most Friday afternoons. There's often a couple of people right at the corner of Fifth Avenue and Liberty with signs right in front of the federal building. They're not terrorists. They're American citizens Practicing their free speech rights right there. No violence. No terrorism. That's what's going on. So this goes on all over the world, and this event actually never happened. Yet Manafort is trying to suggest in this interview to distract Jake Tapper from getting a legitimate answer to a legitimate question. Where we have a presidential candidate using a code you know, a dog whistle. Second Amendment people. What does that mean exactly? Yeah. And we've seen a lot of this. We saw this just this past week, the day after the Florida primary, where the Donald Trump-backed candidate comes out and uses the phrase monkeying around, monkeying about with our economy after an African-American mayor of Tallahassee wins the Democratic nomination. Now, of course, he'll deny that it was a dog whistle. He'll deny that he was a racist. But the question is, why did he say it that way? There's a lot of different ways to say that. Yeah, you'd, you'd think you'd, you'd mull a few over before you went with that one in and, that particular context. Well, there's also the uh, moment last week where uh, Trump speaking to a conglomeration, a gathering of so-called evangelicals, uh, threatening that, oh, this midterm election, the Democrats are going to be violent. They're, they're out to get me, and they're going to use violence. 
and we have to be ready for that. I, what? The Democrats are too disorganized to be violent. <laughs> and let's remember, by the way, we were talking about the Vietnam War protesters. They, they were protesting the Democratic Party, and the vi- the violent perpetrators were the police. Were not the protesters. Right. They were the Richard Daly police force. This is what happened, by the way, in hundreds and hundreds of war protests. This was an excuse for for Nixon uh, to fire up that base, fire the, up the base, the hard hats, the hard the hats. Whole I mean, Archie Bunker uh, wing of yeah. the party. Gordon Liddy even brags about going out and beating up protesters. You know, one of the Watergate right. specialists. A, a, a break-in man. <laughs> it's it's uh, it's remarkable. But this is how history gets distorted. Um, because there are many Americans that somehow believed it was violent students. Because the students, they got long hair. They're hippies. They're... They're on smoking grass and they're doing LSD and, you know, they, they're walking around, they're unwashed, they don't have shirts on, you know, the whole thing. And this is how they create these culture wars. It's all sort of the actual facts get lost in what really happened at many of these places. You know, 10 soldiers in Nixon's coming, four dead in Ohio. Oh. Well, that was the National Guard that was foisted into all of the college campuses, including my hometown of Athens, Ohio, in 1970 by James Rhodes, the governor of Ohio, a close Nixon ally. And what was his justification? Oh, we need law and order. And we're going to impose law and order the way we like to, which is violence. (laughs) There's no actual crime occurring. People are gathered. They're given speeches. Hey. That's all that was happening at Kent State. That's what the First Amendment is, dude. (laughs) You know, instead we get these crazy claims of censorship or that um, religious organizations are are, are being impinged on because they're, they're not allowed to practice their religious beliefs on Sunday morning. I've never seen a sh- single shred of any evidence to support that claim, by the way, or that Christmas is under assault. <laughs> One of Bill O'Reilly and Sean Hannity's favorite talking points. I'm pretty sure I've even heard Trump talk about that. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, you know, what's the evidence to support that? <laughs> Nothing. It's only one of the most heavily marketed days in all of the year. It's a debate about whether the nativity scene is supposed to be put on, uh, you know, put on the on the courthouse grounds or whatever. Well, I'm kind of wondering under this new uh, world order of Donald Trump, whether uh, the good Lord Jesus Christ has his birth certificate on him. Do we need to investigate whether he was born in a manger with the witnesses being... Fake news. Fake news. ...being a cow and three wise men? I wonder. And and yet you hear mm. constantly about the, the birth certificate. Well, it was reported last week, by the way, that there are Mexican... Uh, of, of Mexican-American origin born on the border. 
who's who can't get passports because the Trump administration has decided that these birth certificates are not valid. They're fake. That these midwives committed forgery 50 years ago to document these births. Well, who knows? But it's pretty outrageous that we have yet another controversy about birth certificates. You know. <laughs> well, the uh, state of North Carolina, you going to have to have a birth certificate to use the bathroom, according to the Republicans <laughs> in charge of that noble body. And a report from your physician. I need to see your birth certificate before you can go into that, before you can pass this this checkpoint. Okay, so what, everybody's going to have to carry birth certificates around with them? Starts making you wonder. And then when you have one, then that's questioned. And I'm still wondering about that that manger birth. Well, the threat or promise or boast, whichever you however you'd like to categorize this uh, offering from uh, clown pants to uh, go out and stump for Ted Cruz, his old buddy Ted Cruz. They were tight yeah. on the campaign trail. I think they both denounced each other pretty vociferously. But uh, now uh, the president would like to go down to Texas. And in, quote, the biggest stadium in Texas, have a rally for himself and for Ted Cruz. This is a logistical uh, fall off because the largest rally that Trump has uh, presided over is like 20 to 30,000 tops. The biggest stadiums in Texas, well, they got some pretty big football domes down there. They do. It is the state religion. Um, and by the way, it's funny how many political debates, uh, that is, uh, debates between political candidates, are scheduled on Friday nights in Texas, which is football night, which means who's watching the debate? No one. And, of course, Texas, you know, has famously low voting participation rates, but um, Beto, that's how he goes by, Beto O'Rourke, uh, the Democratic nominee for the Ted Cruz Senate seat, is putting up a feisty charge. I don't think he's going to win, but he's making Ted Cruz sweat and seeing Ted Cruz sweat. And you you wonder about the character of a man. You mess with my family, Donald, you're a dead man. You know, this is after Trump comes out, attacks his wife, and suggests that his father was somehow involved in the in the Kennedy assassination, and that well, and Ted the Cruz, National Enquirer has photos to prove it. Becker, well, that's his old buddy, yeah, David Becker. And then, you know, in the wake of that horrible church shooting in Texas, Ted Cruz was more fired up about the fact that a couple of local guys driving by were heavily armed and chased the guy down and shot him down and then he was overwhelmed with grief and tragedy for the fact that innocent children and elderly people were gunned down as they prayed in to a, a church and humble lord in a church right the worst but yeehaw texas mass we were armed and ready to go church shooting um, in american history i think there's a different kind of texas bubbling under here there's been a lot of demographic change 
in the cities in particular, in the economy of Texas. So I think it's going to be a close race. Well, and parenthetically, as uh, Jerry Mack gets ready uh, for Yazoo City calling here on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor, Texas is, is a state, by the way, where the Chamber of Commerce in Dallas, in Houston, in San Antonio, in Austin— <laughs> 